Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode eight of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. In truth, it's more like episode 7B, as we're just picking up right where we left off at the end of episode seven. But nonetheless, I'm your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at DustinTheNow. And as always, I am joined by In All Kinds of Weather creator and lead writer, Neil Schulman, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. We're also proud to welcome back Ben Troop to today's show. Y'all probably remember him as a first team All-American for Florida in 2003. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you remember him from last week's episode in which we discussed the wide variety of challenges the Gators face getting ready for a 2020 season that is unlike any other in Gator football history. That episode is called Rallying the Troops, and though it is a separate discussion from the one we're having today, it does set the table for the 2020 season. So we encourage everyone to listen to that episode if you haven't already. Anyway, since the table has been set with the last episode, today will be our official in all kinds of weather forecast season preview. We're gonna talk X's and O's. We're gonna talk about the keys to success to the Florida Gators this season. And we're gonna go game by game and get each of our thoughts on the games in a score prediction. So stay tuned because at the end of the year, we'll compare answers to see who did the best. However, before we do that, we've gotta take care of our sponsors. Neil, that's all you. Thanks, Dustin. Great to be back with you and Ben for another podcast today. Um, as Dustin mentioned, got to take care of the advertisements before we get back to football. First, the Gator Good Foundation is nearing completion on a major project that has spanned most of this pandemic. And we are officially looking for applicants to take to a game in 2021. Again, we specialize in bringing underprivileged individuals to the swamp for the first time. We understand that not everybody is able to make that happen for themselves, so we raise the money to make it happen for them. We're pretty sure that it's not going to happen in 2020 due to COVID-19. So because we like to plan ahead, we're already planning for 2021. So if you feel that you or someone you know is worthy of consideration, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. That is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media. And if you'd like to donate to help our cause, the links to do so are in our various social media bios. Our Twitter is at the Gator Good. Instagram is at Gator Good Foundation. And Facebook is the Gator Good Foundation. Again, Twitter at the Gator Good. Instagram at Gator Good Foundation. Facebook, the Gator Good Foundation. That exciting news that we've been teasing for so long is just around the corner. And those social media pages is where that news will finally be released. So be sure to follow them if you do not already. Second, our newest sponsor is Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing that will wow your clients and deliver results. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. 
If you are someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, I can give you two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it's a veteran-owned business, always great to support those who serve our country, and two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So there you go. I've officially sold y'all. To learn more about their services and rates, visit stingraybranding.com. That's stingraybranding.com. And that is the end of my ad spot. So Dustin, back to you, sir. Good stuff, Neil. As always, you do an amazing job delivering those ads. I wouldn't want to even try to take that job away from you, but I do want to use my own voice as the official host of this podcast to second both advertisements. I can attest that the Gator Good Foundation is an incredible organization that definitely is worth donating to if you have the means to do so. And I'm proud to host a podcast that is partnered with them. And I'm also super grateful to Stingray Branding for being our second sponsor after Anchor. So shout out to y'all as well. Now, we absolutely love our sponsors, but we're really here to talk Gator football. We've been saying we're gonna get to our official season preview. So it's time to deliver on that promise and do some previewing. Ben, Neil, y'all ready? Been born ready, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So let's get to it. Now, going around, Neil, Ben, let's start off with talking about offense. Now, I know that 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 you played for one of the you you played as part of one of the one of the greatest offenses ever to play football at the University of Florida. Um, you know, looking back at tape of the 2000 and the 2001 season, those are pretty great. So let's talk about this year, though. Who do you think the offensive MVP will be? And we'll start with Ben. Ooh. I think, I mean, I mean, it's a lot of guys that come to mind. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is an incredible talent. I mean, you know, uh, I think that when you look at what we're trying to do with the, you know, with the receiver position with Grimes and those guys and Tony and Shorter. And Who, by the way, just got his eligibility waiver approved, so congratulations to him on that. But I think it has to be Kyle Trask. I mean, j- j- I mean, I just think it does because he's – I mean, he's every, he's the one that makes it all go. I don't think – I don't – I mean, I, I think I think that Pierce – and, you know, and Malik and, and you know, and Lingard and those guys, they're going to have to have a big part of an offensive line. But it has to be Kyle Trash because nobody affects the offense more than the quarterback. He, he, he has full nuance. I mean, it's like, you know, I just think that when you look, you know, him and Emory Jones, I mean, I think that Dan Mullen gave those boys keys to a Ferrari and said, hey, man, be careful because you got everything. From you got you got five star transfers. You got the you know you got the number one receiver a couple of years back when Penn State and shorter. You got a six five you know uh, you know you know uh, Beast and Grimes. You got a change of place guy like Tony. You got the best tight end in the country and Kyle Pitts. You got an offensive line that's still trying to find their way. It still starts and ends with number eleven though. I just think that at the end of the day, Kyle Trask is built for this. So for 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 my money, I'll go with Kyle Trask. Yeah, so you can – I think you can make an argument for three different guys. Um, Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, and Trayvon Grimes. You went with Trask, so just to be different, I'll go with Kyle Pitts. I, I mean, you said it. he is – if there is a better tight end in the country, I have yet to see him, and I watch a lot of college football. So that's going to be a tough sell. But I, I think college football is sort of moving to a spot where – 
the tight end position has to be naturally explosive by trade. And I think Kyle Pitts is already ahead of the is already ahead of the game in that sense. I don't think that defenses are naturally equipped to stop him. Like you can't put a linebacker on him. He'll fry you. But if you put a cornerback on him, then you're down one of your best corners while Trayvon Grimes and Jacob Copeland and Kadarius Tony are running free elsewhere. So you got to be super cautious and super careful with Pitts, and you have to treat him like he's a wide receiver when he's really a tight end and he can block like a tight end. People don't give him enough credit for that, but he's he's a pretty good blocker. He's known for his pass catching, but he's a good blocker too. So just to be different from you, I'll go with Pitts. I think both of you have have hit the nail right on the coffin, and I I just I want to I want to just bring in real quick. I want to bring in Trayvon Grimes. I think Trayvon Grimes is a difference maker. It it was honestly a little a little hard to see him get uh, a whole lot of catches last year with such a a deep receiving core ahead of him. Three of which are now on NFL rosters. I, I, I could not say more about Grimes. I mean, he, his average uh, yards per catch is 14.9 yards per catch. With 33 receptions, he got almost 500 yards receiving and three touchdowns. Along with Pitts, that's going to be a guy who I see is really going to catch the ball. And as teams try to cover Pitts, Grimes is going to be open. And then as they move back and try to double-team Grimes – that's going to open up things for Pitts. And it all goes back in full circle because the reason why Grimes and Pitts are going to be so good is because Kyle Trask is going to be doing his job. So uh, let's go ahead and get to our next question. So, Ben, starting with you, what do you think the key to the offense's success this coming season is? The run game. I mean, the fact that we was able to win 11 games last year with no run game. We literally had two runs the whole year, one against Auburn, you know, with P. Ryan, one against South Carolina with Damian Pierce. You're not with an all-SEC schedule. You're going to be going up against big-time defense week in and week out, the running game, because it creates balance. I think you got I think you got a three-headed monster at, 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 you know, uh, you know, at running back, but it's going to be that offensive line, that run game, because – I don't have no – listen, Kyle Traz is built for this offense, but you add a run game, which means defense got to – they got to they got to be ready for everything you do. I think I think that's going to make us that much more explosive. For me, it's got to be the run game. Yeah, so I don't really see a place where I can disagree with that. I'll say specifically the run blocking. Um, you know, Ben – Ben, the mantra of this pod- of this podcast is to keep it respectful, but keep it real. And mm-hmm. keeping it real means that I got to acknowledge the offensive line was okay in pass pro last year. It was just plain awful in the uh, run game last year. Off. Yes, it, it was. It, it was, was hard, just. It was hard to watch. I mean, it, it was, was. Yeah, it was. It, just it, a, it was like I mean, and, and taking that away from Coach Dan Muller, it was like going back to Must Champ days, man. It was. It was bad. It was like. What in the world? And and the fact that we won eleven games, that just shows you how good of a coach Dan Mullen is. But and Coach Gonzalez and those guys, it's not gonna. It, number one, it's disrespectful to our backs because it makes it look like we don't got good backs. Lingard could have went anywhere. He decided he decided to come up to the you know to the to the orange and blue instead of them boys down there in Core Gables. So I'm just saying, man, don't waste that man. So yes, 
we gonna have to we no no blocking is a want to thing and it's not a scheme thing. Do you wanna do it? Yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. And and, yeah. and and it's only gonna make that passing game that much more dangerous. The real problem last year was I think even Dan Mullen knew it, and he just did not trust it. It was atrocious. We, you can't sugarcoat it. We saw it against Georgia. It cost us the Georgia game and maybe a national title because the very first drive of that game, we got a fourth and one. Mullen has to try a passing play. Like, how can you not use your offensive line to just bull forward and help clear a path for your running back to get 36 inches of ground? Like, you just can't do that in the SEC. You can't not trust your offensive line to block for a running back on fourth and one. Now, sure, four of those guys are back. And I will say, I don't think it's possible for John Hevesy to have a bad offensive line two years in a row. So I do think it'll be better. My question is, how much better is it? Does does the run blocking go from being awful to mediocre does it take that step from atrocious to being decent or does it take a huge leap and suddenly become an actual strength and i think if it's the latter florida's going to be a real player for a national title they better, they better do something yeah. I, I think it comes down to execution and execution starts up front if you can't block if you can't if you can't make make space for running backs if you can't give time to your quarterback to throw the ball you know, you could have Tom Brady and um, you could have Emmett Smith in the backfield. If you're not blocking, you're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, you know just looking back to, to tape of, 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 of you and Chris Leak in the 2003 season, you know, it would seem that there would be times where, where the execution would be, especially in games you guys really, really nailed, there would be times where it looked like Chris Leak's throwing the ball and he's not even looking at you. But because the execution's so on point, you're in the spot that he's throwing to, and you're going to make that catch every time. Why? Because you practiced it, you executed it. What do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it comes down to trust. You mean you got to trust your ability, you got to trust your preparation, and you got to get out there and prove it. I mean, it's a prover type thing. And the thing about it is, is if I'm an offensive lineman, man, you know, I'm, it's disrespectful to the craft. It's disrespectful to that position. You can't run block, and you go to Florida. That's that's like, no, that's that's crazy. I mean, Shannon Snell and Max Starks, you know, Mike Pearson, the Pouncey brothers. Come on, man, y'all are part of that tradition. If you don't, and the thing about it is, is be a be a complete football player. Don't don't take credit for the eleven and two if you do your part with the running game. So y'all right, it bothers me because I wasn't the best blocker, but I'm gonna do my part because I wanted Cedric Faison, Ernest Graham, Robert Gillespie, and all those guys. You know, Deshaun Wynn, Jim Tavius Walker. I wanted all those guys to be like, "Truth, you got me. I got you." Absolutely. Let's look at our next thought for this section. Ben, give us your breakout player to watch out for. Now, just to clarify, we've already talked about Pitts. We've already talked about Trask. Who's a player that we really haven't heard about, we really haven't seen, that you think is going to have a breakout season this year? You know what? For me, just because of how they're doing him, I think it's, I think, I think it's going to be shorter. I think, I think that Justin Shorter is going to be a guy to where, you know, because the thing is, big, big receiver, I think he was the number one receiver uh, coming out when he came out, went to Penn State. And 
He's motivated. They're not giving him his eligibility. I think the only people that's allowed to get eligibility now is, is big-time quarterbacks. I mean, they're the only ones seem to be able to get their eligibility. But for my money, I'm going to go Justin Short. I, I, think, I think that he's going to be a big-time player, a guy that's going to be – because you talked about Grimes. You talked about Kyle Pitts. This dude is built like a freaking rock. I'm looking, I'm looking for Shorter to make some noise. Worth noting that, yes, the NCAA did give him his waiver, but – Took y'all long enough. Way to make him wait till the last second. So he deserves the ball out this year. I hope he does, man. Only because, man, he transferred in January, man. It's like, I mean, doesn't the transfer, the, the, the transfer portal, I mean, does it work? Does it not work? My goodness. Dude, I'm, I'm at a point with the NCAA where I just expect them to do the stupidest, dumbest, least oh, yeah, sensible, worst, meanest, cruelest, worst, whatever – I just expect negative out of them because that's what they've conditioned me to expect. That's what they that's what they have a history of doing. So whenever they do something nice, it's a pleasant surprise. Like I'm still I'm still mad that they suspended Will Greer for one calendar year. Oh, please don't when, talk about that, man. When that, players, that, that, I remember, I remember. I mean, you know, I mean Saturday Night Football, man. Everybody talk about Ole Miss coming in ranked number one, beat the brakes off of them, wearing all orange. <laughs> And, then, and I'm like, listen, man, if you're going to take sports and hands and drugs, I mean, did, did, does it look like Will Greer's fake sports and hands and drugs? Or whatever he took. Let's, let, let's just Greer. pretend. Let's pretend for a second. I, he's, I'm not saying he did this because he did not. But let's pretend that Will Greer maliciously and intentionally took steroids. He did not. But let's pretend for a minute. How does he get one calendar year and players who choke their girlfriends within an inch of their life get a game or two? Like, what about hey, hey, that makes sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. And, and the thing is, I think, I, listen, there are two what-ifs in my life that always go on. One what-if is Will, Greer is Will Greer is not suspended and we go through the rest of that year. And also, you know, uh, 9-11 never happens and we play and we play Tennessee. That weekend, uh, my sophomore year, that's probably, you know, we probably have a chance to go on to the national championship. But you know what? It's because I went to Florida, man. People be hating on us bad, real bad. So, you know, and I'm not saying they're hating on us for 9-11. I'm not comparing to that. But Will Greer, I mean, every, t- every time I saw him t- throw a touchdown pass in West Virginia, I was heated. But you know what? It's all good, man. We're going we gonna, we gonna to ball the way. The fact that we have Mullen and not McIlwain – Makes the whole Will Greer Absolute. situation absolutely facts. Yeah, yeah, because because we, <coughs> I, I just want to say this. I think the Gators probably would have gone undefeated in the regular season and then lost to Alabama or or whoever played in the SEC championship game that year. I think it was Bama. And, well, we put, we gave Bama a fight though. Like we didn't get destroyed yeah. by them. Our defense. Hung in there for a while, but yeah, yeah they had yeah they had some crazy they had some crazy catches they had some crazy oh, catches yeah you yeah. uh, Vernon Hargraves and those guys but you know it's all good so we're gonna get yeah. back to it it's over yeah. it's the past so thankfully Ben you did not take my breakout guy I was sure you were going to I'm going Naquan Wright we know he's talented we've seen the guy ball out against some of the top players in South Florida back in high school I think a lot of this depends on the key I just gave. Uh, the offensive line's got to help him. If they do, I think he's primed for a breakout season. He waited his turn in a super crowded backfield last year. He showed a lot of promise throughout summer ball. And I like Malik Davis. I like Iverson Clement. I just think Wright's going to be very difficult to keep off the field. 
I agree. I agree. I mean, when we, when we got him, and there's something to say about big-time talents that are willing to be coached, that are willing to take their time, that are willing to not get impatient. And one thing about Dan Muller, he will go with the hot hand. I mean, you you got to. I mean, there. I mean, there aren't too many running backs now in the SEC that don't do it by committee. It's how do you find a niche for yourself out there on the practice field to be able to have plays called for you on, on game day? I used to tell when you know when we had um, Goosby and those guys at tight end. I used to tell those guys, just because you play in Florida don't mean you don't mean you warrant you know what I'm saying plays being called for. You got to earn it. Dan Mullen is about as crafty as it gets, and unlike McElwain, he actually, I don't know, talks to Steve Spurrier when he right down the hallway. And it ain't arrogant enough to think, I don't need Steve Spurrier. Yeah. That's why one guy's in Florida, other guy's in Central Michigan. Nonsense. Yep. Hey, I couldn't agree with you guys more on, on, on both of those. I, let me just say, let me just say, guy, Keon Zipper. Mm. Dude, he's a beast. I know he didn't get the chance to play a whole lot last year because of the whole red shirt rule. Got his uh, four games in, that's about it. But, man, when he, when he plays and he has a full year to play football and to, and to influence the play on the field, I think you're going to see a monster. First off, in, in, the, in, the, in the blocking game, I think he's going to be used as an H-back and he's going to be used um, as a guy who's going who's gonna to get – get up under a, a linebacker and, and push him out of the way to make way for the, the Lingards, the Pierces, the, the uh, Iverson, like all just, I, I think he's going to be such an, an influence in the blocking game. But even beyond that, he, he's got, he's got some wheels. He, you know, you look at that guy and he, you might not think he's that fast, dude, he's fast. He's pretty fast for, for a tight end, for, for a guy who, who a guy is for all intents and purposes in the trenches when it comes to that. I think he's going to do an excellent job, and I think you're going to see him uh, make a big influence uh, on the outcome of our season next year for this like coming it. season. I like it. Yeah. So I, I know that you're raring to go when it comes to defense. So I, I look forward to hearing who your breakout player is for defense. And we'll get to that. First things first, who is your pick for the defensive MVP this coming 2020 season? My defensive MVP has a lot to do with tradition. Uh, at, you know, at his position and his family name. I'm going to go with Marco Wilson. I, I, just, I, just, I, just, I just think that when you talk about the fact that he's at the star position, I mean, obviously, obviously, just like, you know, just like, uh, just like, uh, you know, uh, CJ Little Brothers, um, Xavier Henderson. Listen, when you come behind greatness and, and that last name, Marco battled through injury, played extremely well last year. I just think that Marco is he's built he's built to break out this year, man. I mean, he won't Marco won't that smoke. Marco is a big time talent. Love this brother, man. Him and T's Tabor, man. One of the best tandems ever, you know, to ever come through Florida. I just think that for my money, defensive MVP, because he's always on the field. He plays on the outside, regular downs, moves to the star position, you know, third down for my money. Give me Marco. So I agree with your logic completely, and I use it. I use the exact same logic line for my defensive MVP, but I have a different answer than you. I'm going Kyrie Elam. We know he's got we know he's got the bloodlines there. I know. I know he's just a sophomore, but we know he's got the bloodlines there with his Uncle Matt. 
We saw those genes in action throughout the year, most notably against Virginia in the Orange Bowl, where he really climbed that ladder for that pick to help seal the deal. And he's only going to get better. I, I could make a case for Zach Carter. I could make a case for Sean Davis. And yeah, Marco Wilson's a good pick, but I'm going with Elam because I think he steps into that starting role that Hendo occupied for the last three years and he doesn't miss a beat. And here's my bold prediction. He might be even better than Hendo when it's all said. I like he it. Might be. I like and and that, that's some big And Hendo was Hendo. great. Hendo was Hendo sensational. Was, Hendo, was, my, Hendo had didn't he have a pick six his first game against Michigan? And yeah, I like picks. the fact that we got some kickback against those clowns in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Thought they really man, get out of here. Well, Hendo had a pick six in each of his first two games as a Gator. Oh my uh, God. And, and and he was sensational. Like this is not a knock on Hendo. He was just fantastic. But I think Elam has a chance like to be even it, better. Elam is a bad boy, man. And he did and he did climb that ladder. I said, Oh my God. Glad he's on our squad. Hey. I stole it right from me. I was gonna say Kyer Elam, but I think I'm gonna go with a popular choice, but I'm going to go Brenton Cox Jr. I think he's going to have a breakout season, and I think that he's going to be the, the defensive MVP because I can only imagine how he's going to be utilized in our attack, attack, attack defense. You know, we, we were one of the best teams in the nation last year for sacks and for pressuring quarterbacks, and I think that Brenton Cox Jr. is going to be just the player who's going to make that happen again this year. I like it. Yeah. So what do you think the key is to defensive success this year? I mean, the same thing it is every year, man. Pressure, pressure, pressure. The whole thing about it is, I mean, that that DBU tradition is going to be serious, man, from Steins and Stewart and and Davis, and you you mix in a Trey Dean to go along with Elam and Marco. I think we are loaded. But Zach Carter, I mean, you know, Moon and those guys, and you're talking about Brenton Cox, I mean, you're talking about – you talking about, I mean, Diabate and those guys, they should eat. I mean, we should eat offensive linemen for breakfast. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, look, you know, I, I mean, Coach Grantham, man, let me tell you something. Two years ago, man, against Mississippi State, man, we meant to call a safety blitz to seal the game. I was losing my freaking mind. I'm like, what? Because I saw it. I'm like, oh, my freaking God, they called it. But for my money, it's the guys that's closest to the quarterback. I mean, our DBs, I'll put them up against anybody when you're talking about, like, just pound for pound in a stacked room. But Brenton Cox, he should play pissed off football. Diabate, every time he had a chance last year, showed up. Zachary Carter is a grown man. Moon and those guys. So for my money, it's pressure on the quarterback. You can't run the ball. You can't throw the ball. IDB should be back there laughing because they're like, dude, but they, they should be patting these receivers on the head saying, stop running so hard, young man. The quarterback is on the ground. Y'all better get that back up ready. Oh, that's just great. Hey. Dude, that's just the hey. – yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna go something along that vein. Um, by the way, I – I just absolutely loved every syllable of that answer. Um, I'm going to go something along that vein. I'm going to say specifically it's going to be replacing John Grenard in that sort of hybrid buck spot. And Jabari Zuniga too. Um, But he was only healthy for maybe a third of the season. And 
as you mentioned, Zach Carter has already proven to be a nightmare for opposing teams. So Florida's already kind of prepared for life without him. But I'm really interested to see who steps in that buck roll. And there is a ton of young talent there. Chris Bogle looked really good as a freshman. As, as Dustin mentioned, Brenton Cox is eligible this year. He's a former five-star recruit. Mohamed Diabate really showed out as a freshman. So there's a lot of promise there. The question is, does that promise get converted into the level of production needed to just wreck opponents' game plans? And I think it does. I hope so, man. I, I really, really hope so. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys as a unit. Yeah, I agree with you guys. But let me just say this. Let me do something a little bit, a little bit different. We know that Dr. Pressure is going gonna, is gonna to do a wonderful job with getting our defensive linemen and linebackers in position. But I, I really want to see our safety play step up. And I believe that our, if our safeties can hold the back end and can even in the, the, the certain circumstances if they're put on islands – if they could do their job, then I think we'll go very far. If our safeties are, 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 are getting beat deep, then it may be another long season from a defensive standpoint. You know, as, as exciting as shootouts are, that's not the kind of game we want to see. Looking at our, at our schedule and the offenses that we'll be playing, first game, Ole Miss, we know that Lane Kiffin loves to throw the ball. So a big key to that game, and we'll, we'll get to that pretty soon when we go to our game-by-game breakdown, but a big key to that game as well as definitely the LSU game. We know they're going to want to throw the ball, even though they don't have Burrow. Texas A&M, even Arkansas with Felipe Franks coming into the swamp. uh, They're going to want to throw the ball. So we have to see our safeties play well. There was a a couple plays I I could distinctly remember last season that if our safeties would have done their job and they would have stopped the third down conversion, they would have gotten in the way against Georgia. To name, to name several plays, I think we would have been in a different position. We, we, we just may have won the East, and we'd be looking at potentially a very different uh, offseason right now as far as what our, what our outcome was last year. So getting to our last defensive question, who is your breakout player to watch for specifically on defense? Don't you dare steal this one. Yeah, I think, I think, I think – uh... I think it's Brenton Cox Jr. I really, I really, really do, man. I think that when you look at what he had to deal with, you know, being a five-star recruit, playing in Georgia, transferring to Florida, wearing that number one, and last time I checked, Dan Butler said that's only reserved for ballers. When I saw him, when I saw him modeling, uh, you know, on Instagram, he had that number one on. And I think it's time. I think John Grenard and those guys, you know, are really, really showing that that's the premier position. That's the one. I mean, John Grenard was built to be a Florida Gator, man. This dude was a beast. So for my money, it's Brenton Cox Jr., man. He's supposed to live in the backfield. He's supposed to tell offensive linemen, I do this to everybody. Don't take it personal. I don't like offensive linemen. I don't like quarterbacks. I don't like guys that play offense. You just got – so for my money, I think it's going to be Brenton Cox Jr. They say he has been looking unstoppable in like in like uh in like fall camp. So give me the get listen, give me the big man with number one on his chest. Yeah, you can't go wrong with him. Um I mean yeah, I, I kinda I kinda put him as more closer to the MVP than the breakout, although I guess he does qualify for both. I'm gonna go with James Houston. I know I'm a little biased because Ben uh in case you don't know he and I have been friends since well before he became a Gator. I, I admit I'm a little biased, but 
the film and the stats are not. And he's Florida's third leading returning sack artist and fourth leading returning tackler from last year. Guys like Carter and Bernie are going to get the press in the middle level of the defense or the, the front seven of the defense, and they should. But Houston's a really smart kid who's done really well in a reserve role the last couple of years. Plays with a ton of energy and gets the maximum mileage out of his opportunities. He didn't start last year. And he led the team with two TFLs against Auburn. And he led the team with eight tackles against Vanderbilt. Uh, I mean, he was responsible for two sacks against FSU. So, so he produces. And in a larger role this year, I do objectively expect him to earn more snaps and therefore see a fantastic 2020 season. I like it. Hey, so I'm going to say a guy who might be teetering on the edge between a potential MVP selection and a, and a guy who could be the breakout player. I'm going to call him my breakout player since he did not start to start the season last year. Did have to start because of uh, different circumstances later on in the season. But I'm going to say uh, my man, Zachary Carter. That guy literally, he literally looks like the Hulk. And I can only imagine what he's going to do to, to opposing offensive linemen and quarterbacks this coming season. It ain't going to be pretty. And I'll leave it at that. So the moment that everybody has been so patiently waiting for in this episode, and I imagine, like myself, many of you guys who are listening to this have looked at the schedule and have done, in your, in your mind, game-by-game game predictions. We're going to go through our predictions, and then we're going to come back in late December and revisit it. So... Who's ready? You ready, Ben? You ready to do this? Ready to, ready let's to make your predictions? Let's do it. Let's do okay. It. Okay. Let's, let's go. Let's go. It's going to be exciting. All right. Here we go. It starts off against Mississippi Ole Miss on the road, September 26th. We know the time. It's going to be noon kickoff. And there's a bunch of storylines here. Y'all, y'all already know it, but Dan Mullen returns to the place he used to make fun of as the school up north the long-awaited rematch against Lane Kiffin. Many Gator fans feel that Florida didn't really beat him badly enough after he took a variety of shots at Florida as Tennessee's head coach in 2009. And Florida can even the head-to-head series as the Gators currently trail the all-time series at 12 and 11. So let's get your thoughts in a score prediction Starting with you, Ben. Let's get it. Uh, I mean, obviously they got they got a quarterback that can definitely, uh, you know, they got a dual threat quarterback. But the one thing about Gators and openers, they do not lose openers. And I mean, it's gonna be crazy with the Gators starting on the road. I think I think it, you know, first quarter they, you know, they kind of try to find their legs on them. But at the end of the day, give me give me my Gators, man. Like 31-17, night like start start the season off right. You're right in that the Gators do not lose openers, but they also do not really tackle well in openers. And so that makes me a little nervous. Now, totally understand they have a first-year head coach and totally understand that they have a first-year head coach for a reason. And that reason was the Rebels were horrible last year. And as of this recording, they still don't know who their quarterback is. I'm going to assume that John Rice Plumlee wins the job, and that means that Florida is going to have to face a running quarterback after not doing any tackling drills for about seven months. I think the game is going to look a little bit like Miami did last year for a little while. 
I think maybe Mississippi scores first, maybe the Rebels lead at halftime. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of hard to justify picking the team on the wrong side of such a massive talent gap. So I think the game's going to be a frightening experience for about three quarters. And then I think Florida pulls together late to get the job done. So I'll go Florida 35-24. I'm going to go in the same vein of Neil and say that the Gators are going to pull it out. It's going to be frustrating. They're, they're going to give up some, some points early on the offense as they kind, of, they kind of get their feet wet when it comes to tackling. And I'm going to say the Gators win 41-31. to 31. I think it's going to be a more high-scoring game, but they're going to pull it off. Huh? Next up – is South Carolina for the home opener, another nooner on ESPN. It is Muschamp's third trip back to the swamp, and Florida should be a massive favorite here. But it's worth noting that the Gamecocks upset a top five Georgia last time they played in Athens last year. So, guys, what do you think about this South Carolina game? Could it be a trip up one before the AM game, which we talk about, or will the Gators glide through? Oh, yeah, no way no way it's going to be a trap game. I mean, Will Muschamp is going to bring a really, really good defense, and that's about it. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do on offense. I mean, I know they got a nice little quarterback in Helensky and things of that nature, but I just think that home opener, you've got the first game jitters out of the way. I think our defense, I think we're going to have a nice little complete game. They're going to play hard-nosed defense, but we're not losing to South Carolina with them Texas a boys, you know, coming in next week. So give me Florida, you know. 35-10, and I, and I, but I, I don't think it's going to be a hard game at all. Give me them Gators and, you know, uh, running away with it. See, it's weird. I know exactly what South Carolina did to Georgia last year because I've watched that game about uh, 20 times or so, and because, you know, it's just hysterical to me that they can't beat Muschamp. Um, but, you know, so I know we can't just write them off, and yet I'm more confident about this game than I am against Ole Miss. They do get Ryan Holinsky back. I do think that they have two of the best corners in the league with J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu, but that's not enough to beat Florida. Their line's not going to have an answer for Zach Carter or Diabate or Houston or the corner blitzes that we know Todd Graham likes to dial up every now and then and that we used Hendo on a couple times last year. So I'll say Florida rolls too. I'll go – just to be a little different, and I mean microscopically different than Ben, I'll go with 34-10. 34-10. I like it. I'll keep it simple. I think the Gators are going to roll. I think they're going to be elated to play football for 2020. I think the 17,000 proud are going to do a great job. And I think the Gators are going to win 45-6. to So our next game, a game that as soon as the schedule came out, this game produced intrigue and excitement for Gator fans. Florida hits the road again to play Texas A&M. And, of course, we all know who their coach is, Jimbo Fisher. Among more important things, a quick fun fact here, the winner of this game takes a 3-2 to two lead in the all-time series score. So, guys, how you feeling for this trip to College Station? We'll start with you, Ben. I mean, uh, I think it's going to be a very, very tough test. They got two They got two big-time tight ends, uh, you know, in that offense. I mean, they're going to be very, very balanced. I mean, Kellerman, uh, people don't talk about him as, as the type of things he's done in the SEC. They had the hardest schedule in football last year, end up going 7-5 when you talk about five top-ten matchups. 
but I just think that Ty Grantham and Coach Dan Muller gonna have a, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a nail biter. I think I think but but what reminds me of this was this. Back when Texas a first came to the SEC, they had a man by the name of Johnny Manziel, man, who was throwing up the money signs. And we went up in Texas a and we got that dub. I see I see it being – I'm not saying Caleb Mind Johnny football at all, but in my mind, you're taking the athletes versus our athletes, their coaches versus our coaches, I'll take mine. It's going to be a nail-biter. Give me give me 28-21, my games. So I'm not really sure why Texas A&M is always thought of so highly every preseason. Like, I don't think – the media realizes that Johnny Manziel isn't there anymore because they've been doing this pretty much every year since 2013. Yeah, there's talent there. Jimbo's always going to recruit. But now that their top corner, Elijah Blades, just opted out. By the way, former Gator commit. He just opted out. And I'm not sure A&M has receivers that can get real separation from Florida's corners. So I do think that Florida is the better team. But I also think that the Gators are due to stumble at some point because they haven't gone undefeated since 1911. And usually to beat Florida, you need a really good QB play. And I think Kellen Mond gives the Aggies that. So I think this is the trip-up game for Florida. I think Mond does just enough to win the game for them. And I'll go 21-17 Aggies on a last-minute drive that Kellen Mond gets into the end zone for the win. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to have to disagree, Neil. I don't think this is a trip-up game. I think the Gators play exceedingly well in this game. It's going to be a defensive battle from the start. I'm picking the Gators 24-13 to 13 Gators. Just like Auburn. Okay. Yeah, love it. So the game that we've all been waiting for, LSU defending national champs in the swamp, 330 on either ESPN or ESPN2. This should be an incredible matchup in the swamp. As you know, this is not the team that won the national championship. They've lost a lot of pieces. Of course, Burrow's not there. But anytime you have Coach O coming into the swamp, you got to watch out. So how do you guys see that? What do you think, Ben? Going to be a good game. I mean, LSU, I mean, nobody recruits better in the state of Louisiana than they do. I mean, we, I mean, you get guys, I mean, you get guys, I mean, I, you know, uh, I played back in 2003 with those guys when they won the national championship, but Matt Malk was a freaking uh, quarterback, you know, at the time. And you get guys like, you know, Tyron Matthew and Morris Claiborne, Patrick Peterson, who in the world is this Derek Stingley Jr. guy, the number one corner in the country, he's a true freshman. But no Jamar Chase, no Joe Burrow, no Clyde Edwards Alaire. They still got Marshall, but I think Florida just gets up for LSU. I mean, they they beat they beat they beat LSU just two years ago in the swamp when they had Joe Burrow. But my money, I think it's gonna be a better game than advertised. I think the third quarter, I mean, the Florida start, you know, they start uh they start exerting their will on those guys with the run game. So give me Florida in a really, really good game, by the way. Give me 28-17 them gators. Okay, Thank you for that. I don't know if you can really call LSU a revenge game just because so many pieces of that 2019 LSU gone. I do think it's a game where Florida can really prove that LSU really did just catch lightning in a bottle and they can't just reload and go unbeaten every year simply by snapping their fingers and calling on a genie. I think Miles Brennan is solid. I don't think he's Joe Burrow. And now, especially with Jamar Chase opting out, they just don't have the weapons to overpower Florida like, like, like they did last year. And remember, Florida did move the ball against them last year without that running game that we talked about. So I expect a good game because this rivalry is known for them. 
Both teams are going to fight because this rivalry is known for that. I think Florida gets it done. I'll say Florida 31-24. I think the Gators are going to – they're going to be ready to go on both the offense and the defensive side. And I just – I don't think it's going to be even pretty. I think the Gators are going to win 31-10. Uh, to 10. It's not the same LSU team. Burrow's not coming back 31-10. So the next game that we're going to talk about, another Tiger – Missouri comes to Gainesville on October 24th, and this is a bit of a weird series that Florida usually has the better football team, yet the eight games between these two schools have been split since Missouri joined the conference. Guys, what do you think? Man, I think uh, I think Florida kind of sticks with their winning ways. You're right. I mean, it has been weird with this Missouri team. I mean, you know, when you look at the fact that, you know, but about the last time I checked, no more Drew Locks. No more Kelly Bryant's. I think Florida, I think Florida has their way when the Missouri team is still trying to find their identity long, long they're a long ways away from, you know, when they was actually, you know, competing for SEC East Crowns. I think Florida wins easily. Give me 41-10, Florida. Yeah, this rivalry is – I don't know how to call it a rivalry. This series is super weird in that the teams just seem to take some sort of sadistic pleasure just walloping the guts out of each other for eight quarters at a time. Like Florida won 14-7 in 2012, and since then each team has alternated two-game winning streaks, and all those wins were beatings. The closest game in that stretch was 23-6 last year to snap Missouri's two-game streak. 23-6 isn't really close. Missouri didn't really have a shot in that game. I mean, Florida didn't really move the ball that well, but – I think people watching could just feel Missouri wasn't – the talent was so different. And I think the pattern continues this year with Florida winning its second in a row over Mizzou in blowout fashion because the Tigers are a mess. I mean, that offense struggled last year, and that was with Kelly Bryant and Albert O. And without them, their offense is really in trouble. I actually have a lot of respect for Eli Drinkwitz. I think he does eventually turn things around there, but not this quickly. So Florida, big. I'll say 45-14. I'll just say this. I think the Gators are going are gonna to find their stride offensively uh, as Missouri comes into the swamp uh, with, with, at this point, quite a bit less talent than the Gators have. And I think the Gators are going to win, and it's going to be 42-3. to three. Give me the Gators. Next is the game of the season. Everybody's been talking about this one since last year. It's a game that needs no introduction Florida, Georgia. We all know what's on the line this year in Jacksonville because it's the same thing that's on the line every year. The road to anything and everything goes straight through TIAA Bank Stadium. What do you guys think happens in this year's game? The number one, the, the first thing, the first thing that's gonna happen is the fact that Kyle Pitts walk on the field. He should go. He should. He should go to Richard LeCount and say, "Oh, so you came back to school for me? Yeah. Well, I'm here. This is your senior year. This is my junior year. This is my last year at Florida. This is your last year at Georgia. I want you, Richard LeCount. It's gonna be different this time, though. Kyle Pitts should look at that defense and say, "Look, man, I'm not. I'm not scared of this defense. I know y'all was the number one defense in the SEC last year. That offensive line." From Florida, she say, "Man, this is where we exert our wheel running the football." And Dan Mullen should look at Dan Mullen to look across and look at Kirby Smart and say, "Listen, I know you got the biggest visor in the freaking world. This is where 
We put a line in the sand. You will not. I don't want to hear no excuses because Jamie Newman decided to opt out. And JT Daniels is the guy that everybody's going crazy over now. I know y'all got DeWan Smith, who was supposed to be Ohio State. Uh, you know, uh, he's supposed to be Rhode Ohio State, but because Justin Fields moved on, he came to him. He came to Georgia. I think that this is the year Florida exercises some demons. In order to be the man, you got to be the man where the man is about to get beat this year. Carter, Diabate, Brendan Cox get to finally get some get some kickback against a team that didn't think, you know, that was like, oh, man, let him go on down to Florida. Hey, so for my money, it's going to it's gonna be a good one. I think it's going to be a four-quarter game because Georgia's going to bring a defense. Florida's going to bring a defense. But I just think that we I just think that we match up better with those guys. I think Florida finally exercises some demons, get back to their winning ways, establish themselves as the beast in the East. Give me 31-28, them boys from Gainesville. You know, I, I think Georgia last year was the worst game Florida's played under Dan Mullen. I think it was worse than Kentucky in 2018 because they had guys hurt. I think it was worse than 2018 against Missouri because at least they had a professional quarterback in Drew Locke and a big-time tight end in Albert O. And Georgia last year had a guy in Jake Fromm who was, yeah, it's all right. He wasn't great. He wasn't a star. He wasn't a Heisman candidate. He wasn't an NFL prospect, really. And – Florida showed up with its F game. And if Florida shows up with even its C game, like Sean Davis or uh, uh, – was it Davis? I don't remember. Um, if, you know, if the safeties don't bust that coverage and yeah, get up that yeah, big that, 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 was, that, was, that was That was Sean Davis. If, if Sean Davis don't bust the coverage and Trey Dean understands the concept of, uh, of, uh, of man versus zone, that's a total different game. And, you know, the thing that irritates me is they did at other points in the year. They just chose that game to not do that. So, like, if Florida plays even its C game, the Gators are in the SEC championship game. Georgia's got some playmakers again on defense this year, and George Pickens is a good receiver. You know, but their, their offense is a huge question mark. They lose a ton of talent. Jamie Newman opted out. They still don't even know if JT Daniels is going to be eligible this year. And we're in mid-September, by the way, right now. They don't even have a quarterback picked out. So we have a rule here, Ben. We call it the Casey rule, named after Casey, the other contributor to this podcast who's currently on vacation and couldn't be with us tonight. The Casey rule is I'm going to pick Florida in this one, but if Florida does not beat Georgia this year, I will not pick them to beat Georgia again until they actually do it because this is it. This is the year. No excuses, no more complaining, no more ifs, no more what. No, they got to do it this year, and they know they got to do it this year. So one more time, I will believe that they will do it. I'll say Florida wins an ugly one. I'll say 20 to 13. Wow. The Gators are going to beat Georgia in 2020. Let me repeat, the Gators are going to beat Georgia in 2020 and you could take that to the bank i'm super impressed with the talent that georgia has coming back on defense their defense is going to be stout and they're loaded with future nfl talent but my big concern with georgia is the quarterback situation and because of that their quarterback is not going to play like Fromm played in previous seasons. Our defense is going to step up, and it's going to look very similar to that old Miami game. Ain't going to be pretty, but the Gators are going to pull away from it. And I'm looking at 
24-20. Go Gators. Now, another storyline. I feel like this schedule is loaded with storylines, but another storyline that everyone's talking about is the next game, and that is Felipe Franks and his homecoming, not as a Gator, but as an Arkansas Razorback. Yes, Arkansas comes into the swamp along with first-year head coach Sam Pittman. What do you guys think about that game? Man, going to be happy. I mean, obviously, big fan of Felipe, man. Happy there. I mean, the type of teammate he showed, the type of poise he showed, the type of leadership he showed when he got hurt, still showing up to all the games, still, you know, being a big part of what Florida had to do last year and a big part of why Dan Mullen has had, you know, uh, the resume he's had his first couple of years. But that being said, Florida should beat the hell out of Arkansas. I mean, I just don't know what Arkansas has. I mean, outside of Felipe Frank, Sam Pittman, and and I don't, is it going to be an air raid? Is it, is it going is it, is it, to try to play balanced football? Their defense, they got a couple of players. But for my money, outside of it being a feel-good story and us welcoming Felipe Franks back with open arms, I think Florida should handle this game pretty easily. I mean, give me 35-10, you know, Florida, in a, you know, they, you know uh, they, should, they should walk away with a big dub. So we all know the storyline on Franks. I think it's a good story. I think Franks is a likable human being. I think this game is going to be a lot more enjoyable to talk about and write about for the media than it is going to be to actually watch unfold. So, Ben, here's a little perspective on just how much of a mess Arkansas is as a program. Take a guess as the, to the last time they won an SEC game. When do you think the last time they won an SEC game was? Uh, 2017. Yes. The last time they won an <laughs> SEC game was the day before Florida fired Jim McElwain. <laughs> October 28th, 2017. That was the, what? and that's, keep in mind, not the what? last time, keep in mind, yep, not the last time they beat a ranked SEC team. It's not the last time they won a road game. The last time they beat an SEC team was the day before Florida fired Jim McElwain, October 28, 2017. Wow. And on top of that, yeah, on top of that, the last two years, they've lost to, get ready for this, North Texas, San Jose State, Colorado State, and Western Kentucky. And they've lost two of those games by four touchdowns. So, Yeah. Putting aside the fact that I think they really reach for Sam Pittman, you don't fix that kind of mess in one year, regardless of how good of an X and O's coach you are, or regardless of how well you recruit. So with such a complete, such a complete roster overhaul to undergo before they can even dream about winning a game like this, I think this game looks a lot like Vanderbilt last year. I think it's I think it's one of the worst beatings Florida ever delivers to another team in the swamp. I'll say it's gonna be 69 to 7. I'll say Frank throws a touchdown pass and Florida scores 10 touchdowns to counter. And I think Evan McPherson gets tired of kicking extra points and he finally misses one. So I'll say 69 7. <laughs> Stole it right from me. I think it's going to be a big beatdown for the Gators of Arkansas. Felipe Franks, great guy. Met him while I was in college, but none of that matters. Gators 62 to 7. So now on to another game, another game against a team that many believe the Gators will absolutely destroy. Florida finishes the year with three straight SEC East teams. The first of these is Vanderbilt on the road, Nashville, a 
place that a lot of people like to go and hang out more so than even watch the game. What do you guys think about this one? I mean, last time, I mean, uh, the last time Florida went up there, man, they made the game a lot more compelling than it had to be. Guys getting thrown out, guys getting DDT, the WWE type, type, you know, type, type was going on. I mean, they was able to get a big dub at the end. I don't think Florida goes in and, and that plays around with a kind of a team that, that, that usually plays Florida very, very close. I think Florida goes out there, handles business. Dan Mullen and, uh, you know, Derek Mason, obviously they tried to act like they was going to fight, which I love Dan Mullen, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't pick him to win a fight, you know, a fifth fight with Derek, you know, with Derek Mason. But Florida handles their business, man. Give me Florida, you know, kind of easily, you know, 35-10. I don't, I don't see them having a problem with Vanderbilt this year. So I'm honestly kind of surprised Derek Mason still has a job. I mean, I just got through detailing what a top-to-bottom mess Arkansas is. Vanderbilt isn't really much better. I think at this point in the year, Florida could be playing a team that's more or less shut down the operation. I mean, this is November 21st we're talking about. They already have a bunch of key guys announced that they're opting out of the 2020 season. And when you stack their roster up against those of Florida or Georgia or Alabama or et cetera, they don't really – have a great deal of talent to begin with. So I don't think this one's quite as bad as last year. I don't think it's quite as embarrassing as what Florida is going to do to Arkansas, but I'll say Florida wins 41-14. 41-14. I, I think the Gator defense is going to put on a show. I think that they're going to hold them to nothing. Yes, nothing. Ooh. I'm calling the Gators 52-0. to zero. They're going to win this thing. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome to watch. For, the, for a Gator fan, not for anyone else. So the next game, it seems like we always have to take our, hold our breath against Kentucky. As we all remember what happened last time Kentucky came into the swamp. This time, though, it's going to be played on Thanksgiving weekend, which is traditionally the spot for FSU. And that's a major difference in this year's game because Florida-Kentucky is usually played the first or second week of the season. What kind of impact do you think that will have this year and what happens in this year's game? I mean, Kentucky defense is better than people give them credit for. They really, really got some guys on defense that can make some plays. I, I just think that when you look at how the game went last year, Florida, that's probably – that's not probably Florida played the best fourth quarter I've seen them play in a long time last year. Uh, you know, was able to get the big victory. Terry Wilson was obviously going to be back trying to throw the football. Uh, but no land Bolden this year. I just think that this game, this game, now this is really a rivalry. Even though Kentucky's been on the losing end for a long time, and then when they finally beat us, they had you know, their best player they've had in a while, and Josh, you know, Josh Allen, their best player they've had in a while on offense, and Benny Snell Jr., I think Florida's going to get some kickback. Florida's going to do some things in Kentucky because they generally don't like each other. I, I can't remember the little defensive man. What's his name? Daniels or whatever his name was. Oh, Cash Daniel. I know he's no longer with Kentucky, but, you know, and listen, and I will say, uh, you know, you look at what Coach uh, what Coach Stoops has done with Kentucky, has to, has to give him a lot of credit for that. They're, they're still a basketball school, but I think Florida, I think Florida gets some kickback. Give me Florida, you know, give me Florida 38. Kentucky seven, they run away with this thing. Yeah, so we actually had Cash Daniel on our podcast not that long ago, just to just to take him to trial for what he did to to Kyle Trask, and uh, Dustin was on for that one. He he will attest we did not go easy on him. We nope, like we locked him in a straitjacket, strapped him into a chair, 
and just rolled him right onto a landmine for that. And, and you know, I, I should point out he was gracious. He was uh, respectful. I think he, I think he genuinely regrets what he did. But I, I feel like you should know that we just took him to the woodshed for that. Yeah, Neil. <laughs> I, I did, really. Dustin's, <laughs> Dustin's a nice guy. I, I was a bad guy on that. No, he, uh, he, deserved, he deserved everything y'all said to him. Cash Daniel, I mean, whatever. Now, he know he was dead wrong for that, man. You, number one, you play, you play for Kentucky. You're not good enough a player to be doing, to be doing the stuff you did. I know, he, I know he was on his apology tour, like in the, uh, what, in the senior bowl and all these different things. He said, look, man, I didn't know how crazy Gator Nation was. Hey, man, you come for one of us. And also, you come for all of us. So whatever y'all said to him, y'all was probably still very nice to him. He's disrespectful. Yeah, well, yeah. You can listen you, to it whenever you feel like. Um, the episode's called Judgment Day with Cash Daniel. Feel free to listen and uh, just see for yourself. We we did not go easy. Yeah. But yeah. So on to on. I, I feel like he'll get a, a little kick out of uh, hearing you say or hearing you call him that little defensive end from Kentucky. What's his name? Daniels. I think he'll I think he'll enjoy that. So the big exception to what I'm about to say for the Kentucky game this year is Georgia. I I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, knowing that it's not true for Georgia. I think as a general rule, for every non-Georgia team. Dan Mullen does not allow his team to get struck by lightning twice. I know what happened the last time Terry Wilson and Kentucky came to Gainesville. I don't care. I know that they're not the same team that they were that year. They do have Terry Wilson. Uh, he might not even start. Maybe Joey Gaywood's the starting quarterback that day. Different team, different game. I do expect Kentucky to put up a fight again this year, but I think now Florida has the advantage of having a whole year to find itself as a team, and plus they'll have a ton of film on Kentucky. So I think Florida at this point is sniffing the college football playoff berth on the horizon, and they're not going to let Kentucky stop them from doing that on what's going to be their senior day. So I'll say Florida wins 30-20. to 20. I like that score, and I'm going to say something similar. 34-20, to 20, Gators. And I'll, and I'll just say this. I think Terry Wilson's a fantastic player, and I think he's going to do a, a decent job in the run game. But Dr. Pressure – is going to do his thing and they're going to make adjustments to it. And that's, what's going to be the difference. The adjustments that are made on the defensive end. And I think that Trayvon Grimes is going to have the game of his life. So you can go to the bank with that. Trayvon Grimes, big time player. It's going to be a big time game for him and a big time senior night. And, and it'll probably be his last game in the swamp. So yeah. Uh, going on to the final game of the season, and this is this is a game that we're going to talk a lot about. I know Neil has some has some thoughts when it comes to this particular team, and we'll we'll, we'll kind of ask you some questions when it comes to this particular team. I'll just say it, Tennessee, and this game shares a common theme with the Kentucky game. All right, so we, of course we have to finish with Tennessee, and as Dustin was saying, this game this game shares a a common theme with Kentucky in that we're going to be playing them in December late in the year, whereas we typically play them early in the year. And you were part of the last Gator team to ever face the Vols in December when literally everything was on the line. I mean, it was a big deal. College game day came to town. Fans were lined up 20, 30, 40, 50 rows deep or so, waving roses all around. Because if Florida won the game, they would have gone to the SEC title game. And if they won that, they would have gone to the Rose Bowl. Top five matchup, CBS, night game, huge deal. 
all eyes in the country were on Gainesville for that. And, and Florida lost. And they wound up having to settle for the Orange Bowl, immediately after which Steve Spurrier retired. Now, since then, Florida has played Tennessee at the beginning of the year each and every year until now. So same question as, the, as for the Kentucky game. What are your thoughts on playing the Vols late instead of early? And then what happens this year? Um, it's going to be a little different playing them late. I mean, I think it just, I think what happens is when you talk about trying to have a, a game that's compelling at the end of the year, I mean, I, th- I think Tennessee definitely fits the bill. You got two teams that have historic history, two teams that have a lot of tradition, and two teams that genuinely don't like each other. As you mentioned, back in the day when Florida used to just beat up on Georgia all the time, the SEC East was literally decided the third or fourth week of the season uh, for, for SEC East supremacy. Now Florida's kind of had their way with Tennessee. Uh, you know, for the you know, for I don't know what, 12, 13 years. I mean, even though Joshua Dobbs was able to pull a rabbit out of a head not too many years back in the second half, because once again we started blowing coverages and just you know, just stopped playing our style of defense. But every year, Florida does a what I like to call a you're welcome game. As I mentioned, Kentucky about two or three years ago, we did a you're welcome to you know to Terry Wilson and Benny Snell Jr. and Josh Allen. A couple of years before that, I mean, I mean a couple of years back we did a you're welcome game to Mizzou. You know, let them come to the swamp and just have them a nice little, a nice little outing. 2013, we did a year welcome game to a Georgia Southern that came into the swamp. This, and you mentioned Neil. Hey, we haven't had a we haven't had a undefeated season since 1911. Florida, like most teams, don't need a don't need an undefeated season. We just need you know to have. We've already sealed up the SEC East. We are already going to represent the SEC East in the, in the SEC championship game. And Tennessee, you're welcome. Coach Pruitt, you're welcome. We're going to let you get a dub. Not going to give it to you easy. Let you get a dub. Make y'all thank y'all back. Philip Foreman runs on the field. People start saying crazy stuff like Tennessee is back. They're not. You almost lost to Indiana, you know, in the freaking Gator Bowl. And Indiana is another, another basketball school. Their best player ever was, the, was Antoine Randall L., who ended up playing receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Washington Redskins. But because we don't need this game, because we need we need motivation going into the SEC championship game against them boys from Tuscaloosa. I'm gonna say this is the game we'll lose because number one, you know, Dan Mullen is a great coach, but sometimes he'll even he'll give a mulligan. So I say, hey, Florida loses 27-24 on a field goal in Tennessee. Uh, I think this year has put up a shut up for Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. I know there's a pandemic for them, but you know what? There's a pandemic for Florida too and Alabama and everyone else in the country who's playing college football. So I have that, that cuts no ice with me. And you know what? Tennessee just had a big recent COVID outbreak. Given what we know right now about Tennessee's recent COVID outbreak, I think that they're definitely better suited to play us towards the end of the year than the beginning. I think that's one of the few things I've ever agreed with Tennessee fans on, but I just don't think they have the personnel to match up with Florida on either side of the ball. They didn't in 2018. They didn't in 2019. And now we don't even know who's going to suit up for them in 2020. I think Tennessee would love to ruin our season. I think they'd love to give us that you're welcome game, as you mentioned. So I think it's closer than the last couple of years, but I still think Florida gets it done. So I'll say Florida wins 38-34. I like it. I know the Gators have never had an undefeated season. I just think that Tennessee is going to come out and they're going to they're going to score twenty unanswered points. It's going to be it's 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 not going to be fun to watch for the first half. But I believe that the Gators come back 
in spectacular fashion. Kyle Trask has the game of his life. And though I don't think Kyle Trask will win the Heisman, I believe this is going to be the game that will send him. Yes, I'm going to say it right now. I believe this is going to be the game that will send him to New York, assuming they do a Heisman similarly to how they've done it in years prior. I'm not sure if they'll have that, but I'll leave that for another discussion. I'm picking the Gators in comeback fashion. In a rocky top, I'm picking the Gators to win 30 to 27. I think they get the dub. I think they do it. So just recapping before we get to the, the final elements of discussion, going back to what you guys have predicted, Ben, you picked the Gators to go 9-1. and one. Neil, you've also predicted the Gators to go 9-1. and one. I'm projecting the 10-0, and 0, but I'm kind of a homer. Looking at both, both of these, I think that this is an SEC title game run for the Florida Gators. So with that being said, who do you got? Who's in your SEC title game, Ben and Neil? Oh, Alabama and Florida. I mean, I mean, how how it should be. I say I got Alabama going undefeated. I just see them being. I mean, you look at that offense, man. Najee Harris, Waddle, you know, Smith, Mac Jones. I mean, they got they got they got they got play Leatherwood. I mean, they got players all up and down that team, and they on that redemption tour. You know, guys like Bo Nix thinking that he gonna win another Iron Bowl this year. Not gonna happen. Give me Florida, Alabama, and Atlanta. And Dan Mullen has, and Dan Mullen, you got them boys ready this time. What's that What's, score? Give us the uh, score, man. I, 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 I think our defense plays well. I think our offense steps up. I think it's going to be four quarters. I think Florida, as a valiant effort, valiant effort, giving some, giving one of them Tebow type type games. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Florida wins on the field. I'd love for you to be right, Ben. I really, really would. And I think you are right in that it's going to be Florida and Alabama for the SEC championship game in Atlanta, which is the way it should be. These teams have played in the SEC championship game nine times in its 28-year history, which is by far the most common matchup in the SEC title game. The next common is LSU-Georgia, which has been played four times. And by the way, side note, with the way Georgia fans like to cry about having to play Florida and Jacksonville – I wish they'd keep that same energy for having to play LSU in the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Although I guess, to be fair, when you lose 42-10 and 37-10 in the most two recent meetings, you kind of forfeit your right to whine. But anyway, I do think Dan Mullen has his guys ready to go for this. I just think that Nick Saban has his guys even more ready to go. I mean, just, just think about how embarrassing last year was for Alabama. The Citrus Bowl for them is akin to the Liberty Bowl for anybody else. If they're not in the playoff, the year is a complete and utter failure. So I think Bama uses the Iron Bowl as year-round motivation, kind of like they did with the 2008 SEC Championship game lost to Florida back in 2009. They just use it as 365 days worth of fuel. I think Florida is going to take a step forward in 2020, even with the pandemic, assuming the run blocking gets better. But but sometimes you just run into a team that's extremely talented, extremely motivated, and just plays a near-perfect game, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, Alabama just has athletes all over the field. I'm very high on Mac Jones as a quarterback. 
Najee Harris is unstoppable. Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are both animals at wide receiver. Defense does lose a couple of pieces, but there's still blue chip talent everywhere you look. I mean, Patrick Sertain, Dylan Moses, Josh Job, LeBron Ray, they're, they're just loaded with talent. And, and again, Florida's got a really good team this year, as we detailed earlier, but I still just don't think it's quite ready to match the nasty street fighter of a team that I believe Nick Saban's going to have. So I think with that said, Alabama comes in and humbles Florida and hurts their feelings a little bit. I think this game looks a lot like the 1999 SEC championship game where it's a competitive matchup or two or three quarters or so, and then Alabama pulls away late to turn it into a route. Going to go with my head here and not my heart. I'll say Alabama wins 31-7. It hurts. It hurts. 31-7. It, they're, they're just so talented, man. They just 31-7. They're they are a good team. Everywhere you look, everywhere oh, you look, man. there's a blue chipper. They don't have weaknesses. 31-7. That, that's a statement. Yeah. Man, I expected, yeah, I, expected you, I expected you to pick Bama in that one, but I did not expect that score. Now, speaking of Bama, I think that they're going to have an absolutely they, – they have a super tough schedule. Not only do they play their normal West, SEC West gauntlet, but they also have to play Georgia. I th- I'm actually projecting Georgia to win that game. They're not going to like me for that, but I think Georgia gets it done. And I think partly because of that game, as well as also having to play A&M, LSU, Auburn, I think it's actually Auburn in Florida. And Florida is going to beat Auburn, and it's not going to be even pretty. Auburn's going to be riding high on a, on a great season. And I just, I just think that, that Sean Davis – and I think that uh, Kyer Elam have the game of their lives. I think that I think the Bo Nix throws at least two, maybe three interceptions. One of them to the house. Oh, I you're just being a homer now. Come on, man. I, I, I don't think Florida. I don't think Florida wins if they're playing Alabama, but I do think that Florida beats Auburn, and I think it's going to be uh, a 35 to 28 win. Okay. So the college football playoff. What 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 is it? What do you guys think? I know I know the season's kind of interesting because the Big Ten and, and the and the favorites Ohio State along with the Pac twelve aren't aren't in this thing. So who do you got? Who do you got this year in your college football playoff? Let, let's get a top four from each of you. Um, I mean Clemson definitely. I mean nobody's gonna beat them in the ACC. It's just it's just it's just not happening. Uh, I know it's crazy. I think it's. I think I can see it being Clemson, Florida, Alabama, and coming out of the Big Twelve. I mean, the usual suspects, Oklahoma. So who wins the semis and who wins the title? Oh man, I mean, I would say this. I mean, Oklahoma's gonna do what they normally do, save their best effort for the regular season. You know, um, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley's still gonna be the number one. You know, uh, highly sought out the, uh, coach in the country, but he gonna get the brakes beat off him. I think. I think uh, it's funny. I think. I think. Um, I think Florida. Let's see. Florida has to play Alabama in the rematch because I see Clemson being the number one seed playing Oklahoma. So Clemson beats the brakes off Oklahoma. Uh, Alabama gets some kickback against Florida, and you get Alabama and Clemson. Only this time, Trevor Lawrence. Sorry, man. Uh, you know, no John Ross. I mean, a lot of Travis Etienne, but 
uh, I think uh, Alabama it is, uh, supplant, supplants themselves as, as still the creme de la creme. Alabama wins the national title. Trevor Lawrence gets to say, I lost two back-to-back national champions, and he called Deshaun Washington and said, hey, man, how was you able to do what you did against Alabama defense twice in the natty? He said, hey, man, because I'm Superman. So Alabama hoist up another national championship. Sounds good. So I'm going to go the same teams but a different order. I'll say Clemson won. I think this year is kind of made for them. They have one shot at a resume-building win, which also means they have one shot at a slip-up against Notre Dame on the road, potentially again in the ACC title game. But I think they do run the table, get the number one overall seed. I think two is Alabama. After Alabama sort of you know, hurts Florida's feelings a little bit in Atlanta, the 31-7 win that I called, they'll be number two. I think that they will lose one game at some point to someone. I don't know who that is. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's A&M. Maybe it's Auburn. Maybe it's LSU. Maybe it's Georgia. But I think they will lose once. And so they'll be two. I think Oklahoma is three. I think Spencer Rattler is going to put up some huge numbers this year because that's what every quarterback does under Lincoln Riley. And I think number four, Florida sneaks in to that college football playoff as number four after getting their brains beaten in by Alabama. Um, I think Florida gets in as number four and has to deal with Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. And two, Alabama gets three, Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. I think that Florida fights. I think it's much more respectable against Clemson. I think Florida's going to say, hey, you know what? We got our feelings hurt. Let's get, let's go. No, go time, show time. Can't do that again. They'll be motivated. They'll be ready. I think Clemson is just a little bit better. Don't think Florida's going to be able to stop ETN for four full quarters. And so Clemson will win that one 31 to 28. I think Alabama just mauls Oklahoma. I think it'll be a lot like the Peach Bowl last year where you know they'll score some points, but Alabama will score more. I think that'll be 51 to 21. And I think round five between Clemson and Alabama for the national championship goes to Clemson in a 35 to 28 shootout. Well, hey. What a, what a storyline. So, again, I'm going to be the homer. Y'all know what's coming, so I'm just going to say it. Florida's going to be the number one seed. Clemson is going to be – you know what? Nah, I think Notre Dame's going to beat Clemson. I really do. You're kidding. So, kidding so, so, both Florida and Notre Dame are going to go undefeated. Notre Dame is going to beat Clemson. So, give me Notre Dame as the number two seed. And then, of course, the usual suspects – Go ahead and give me Oklahoma as the three seed and give me Georgia as the, uh, the four seed. So that's going to be Florida, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Yes, Florida has to play Georgia again in the, the semifinal, and it's going to be a hard-fought game by both sides. And I believe Florida gets a game-winning field goal against Georgia. It's not going to be the same – uh, route that I was projecting um, earlier, the same the same great game that I was projecting earlier. I think the, I think the Gators get it done, like twenty to seventeen, and I believe that it sets up for a fantastic game against Oklahoma in the national championship game. And I believe the Gators again for a national championship beat Oklahoma, and it's not even close. Give wow. me the Gators forty. Four 
Yes, not 45, not 41, 44 to 24. Damn. Give me the Gators. I like it. I mean, I, I would listen. I would love to have that ending. I mean, we'll see what happens, but I, I, I like your I like your ending a lot better than mine. And mine. Well, that's gonna wrap us up for this special season preview show. And by the looks of it, we have really high expectation for the Gators. The one thing about picking the Gators to do really well is we do have a shot to be disappointed. Let's hope not. But again, this is a season that we're going to see a ton of uncertainty. So we'll see what happens. Well, that'll, that'll about wrap us up in this season preview of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Ben, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. We loved your insight as a former player and a former leader of a team back when you played. And we're, we so appreciate that you were able to be with us for our season preview episode for this 2020 season. Again, as a reminder, Ben writes for southernpigskin.com and hosts a weekly radio show on Pigskin Radio every Monday. So to read and hear more from him, that's where to go. As for us, if you enjoyed our podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow and expand our brand. We're going to try and get on a more regular schedule now. The football season is here, and that starts with next week's show. We have another special guest coming on next week in which we'll be previewing Florida's first opponent in Ole Miss. So stay tuned. With that said, Ben, thank you again for your time. Stay safe, stay healthy, and go Gators. Thank you, Ben. We really appreciate it, my dude. Uh, Y'all going to have to have me on during the year, and we can run this thing back. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, we intend to have you multiple times. This, isn't, this is not a one-off. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, we appreciate you, Ben. Um, Y'all stay safe, stay healthy as well. And, of course, go Gators.